Good day and welcome to another edition of Cross Faith Ministries Bible Studies. We're going to continue on in the Gospel of John chapter 8. We'll be covering verses 12 through 20 today. The title of today's lesson is Jesus is the Light of the World. Reviewing from last week, last week we, we saw where the religious leaders bring a woman that was caught in the act of adultery to Jesus. And, and they ask Jesus, they say, Jesus, master, teacher, right, they say. Now, they're mocking Jesus by they saying teacher because we know from previous studies they call him a demon. They say he's demon-possessed. So we've seen last week that it was a form of, of mockery, so to speak, right? They say, what should we do with this woman? Now, remember, the religious leaders, they have an agenda against Jesus, and they want to entrap Jesus. So what they want him to do, they want him to answer with the hopes that he says something that goes against the Torah, that goes against the law, in order for them to have him arrested. But when they ask Jesus to answer the question, we see that Jesus just bends, he, he bends down and he starts writing on the ground. Now, we don't know what he wrote, right? But he wrote on the ground to show his identity, to show that he's God in the flesh. And if you go back to the book of Exodus, right? If you remember, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on two stone tablets. And God wrote those commandments with his finger on the tablets. So at this time, when Jesus bends down, right? It's in the dry season. He's not writing on sand. He's writing on hard ground that's like cement. So once again, he's showing his identity to the crowds, but more importantly, to the religious leaders, right? And Jesus, he answered the question, and he stood up, right? And he said, those of you who have never sinned, then go ahead and cast the first stone. Jesus is saying, if, if, if you never sin in your life, then you go ahead and kill him. That's what Jesus is saying, right? And the Bible told us, that one by one, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, what they did, they dropped the stone and they all walked away from the woman. And Jesus turns to the woman and he asks the woman, where are all your condemners, right? Where are all the ones that want to condemn you? Did they condemn you, he says. And, and what she says, she says, no, Lord. See, she recognized that he is the Messiah. She recognized that he is the Savior, right? And Jesus said, well, neither do I. Now, Jesus says, go and sin no more, right? Now, now Jesus, is he's not condoning sin when he says that. He, he's showing us something here. He's showing us that, that he's a loving and forgiving God, right? He, that, that he's our Savior. He's our Redeemer, right? That we need to seek him. We need to repent of our sins. And if you repent of your sins, then he remembers your sins no more. You're forgiven. That's what he's showing us. So what we're going to see in this week's lesson that once again, Jesus, he's telling the Pharisees, he's telling the crowds, right? That he's God in the flesh because he's claiming to be and he's going to show them that he is the light of the world. So with that being said, open up your Bibles to John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. And it starts off like this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life. And the Pharisees challenged him. 
Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. And Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus said. If you would knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one sees them because his hour had not yet come. So let's go back up to verse 12. And verse 12 starts off where Jesus, we see Jesus right here. Scripture tells us when Jesus spoke again to the people. Now he turns and he's teaching and he's preaching. Remember when they bring this woman caught in the act of adultery, there's actually crowds there that Jesus is speaking to, right? And they bring this woman from last week in front of these crowds, right? Probably to discredit her, right? Because probably she wasn't, she, she was, she's not very popular in society, right? And we've seen that all they want to do is what? They want to condemn her, right? But they want to condemn her for their own purposes, their own plans. It's to entrap Jesus. So Jesus, once he turns to the woman last week and says, where are all your condemners? Have no one condemned you? She says, no, Lord. He says, neither do I. Now go and sin no more. So she walks away, and now he turns back to the crowds. When Jesus spoke again, the scripture tells us to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life, right? So we see here that the first thing that should jump out to us is when he says concerning himself, look what the scripture tells us. I am the light of the world. But it starts off with those two words, I am. Now, if you know the book of John, the gospel of John, right? John continuously repeats himself over and over with this phrase, I am, I am. You're going to see that I am the light of the world. I am the life, right? So what he's saying here, when he says, I am the light of the world, he's emphasizing right here, I am. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, this is a Greek way of pointing to the revelation of God, right? Now, why, why do I say this? Because in the Old Testament, if we go back, to the book of Exodus. What we learned in the book of Exodus is that God speaks to Moses. And, and he's going to use Moses as a dichotomy of a redeemer, so to speak, right? A savior, you can say. Because he tells Moses, I want you to go to the Israelites first, then I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let you go. That I'm freeing them, right? Go to the Israelites telling them that God, Yahweh, is, is going to free you. 
then go to Pharaoh and tell him also. And Moses, if you remember, Moses has a stuttering issue, right? And Moses doesn't think that he can do that because Moses says, God, I can't even speak. And you want me to go here and you want me to tell the Israelites, who am I? I mean, they won't trust me. They won't, they won't believe in me, right? They're going to laugh at me. And if you want me to go to Pharaoh, then I definitely can't go to Pharaoh because I have a stuttering issue. I have a stuttering problem. I can't do it. And, and God says, as far as your stuttering issue, I'm going to send your brother Aaron with you. And he can do the speaking, right, for you and through you. Because I'm going to give you and him the words to say. Well, Moses says, well, what about the Israelites? Who do I tell him sent me? And God said, tell him, I am sent you. Now, if you go to the book of Exodus in chapter 3, verse 14, this is what it says. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So when Jesus is saying right here, I am, he's saying or he's given us revelation that he is God among us, right? Now, this is several times, right, that Jesus is giving them, meaning the religious leaders and the crowds, but more the religious leaders. He's telling them that I am God Almighty in the flesh. Now, why did Jesus come into this world? Look what he says. I am, look what he says, the light of the world. Now, we know that there's a connection between the Gospel of John and the book of Genesis, right? Because John's constantly referring back to Old Testament Scripture, and particularly the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus. But here, we know that he's quoting back from the book of Genesis when he says, I am the light of the world. Because if you really understand the Gospel of John, we really must be good students to understand the book of Genesis. Now, why is that? Because there's the same concepts that he uses that he brings up over and over and over. And if you really don't understand the Old Testament, and particularly right here, the, the book of Genesis, then you're never going to really understand the true meaning of what the book of John means, the Gospel of John, and particularly here when he says the light of the world. You see, where is light mentioned in the book of Genesis? Well, it's mentioned at the very beginning of the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 1, right? There's a connection between the light of God and the Spirit of God, if you go back and you look. And when we look at these two concepts, what is the purpose? The purpose is to bring order into this world. So if you go back to the book of Genesis, at the very beginning of creation, the Bible tells us, right, that the world was dark, the world was empty or void, some of your Bibles might say. But the Bible also tells us that the Spirit of God hovered over the deep and that God said, let there be light, and there was light, right? And we know that light brings what? It brings life. It brings blessings, you can say, right? It brings illumination into the world. It brings illumination, revelation into your life, right? Genesis 1, 1, 4 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And look what it says right here. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
So Jesus was always present from the very beginning of time. Because we see this here. The Spirit of God, right? We can go back to the Trinity. Is God the Father and God the Son that we see in the New Testament? And what? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of Jesus. So Jesus was there from the very beginning. Verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. Now, if you go back to last week's lesson, there's this woman, right, who's caught in the act of adultery, right? She, she was living in a way that was, that was far removed from the life of what God wanted for her. Meaning, God wanted her and us, you can say, really us, because the message is for us also, to live this life from a kingdom aspect, right? But we found out last week that this woman was in darkness. You see, and it was only through Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, right? His revelation, his illumination that changed this woman forever. But you see, the same holds true for us as well, right? Think about it. Because if we want to change, right? If we want that kingdom perspective, that kingdom change in our life, we need to have that same light, that same illumination. And the only way to find that, the only way to get that is through Jesus Christ of Nazareth, amen? It's through his word because he is the truth and his word is the truth, amen? So this text is telling us right here that Jesus is the only one who brings light, who brings order into our life. Continue on with the scripture. Second half. Whoever follows me, some of your Bibles might say hears me, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, right? So this word follow or hears relates to being obedient to him. Being obedient to the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. He says, whoever follows or hears me will never walk in darkness. Now, darkness is just the opposite of light. Darkness is what? Disorder. Remember, light brings order into your life. It brings order into the world, right? It brings peace and comfort and joy. Well, darkness is just the opposite, right? It's the opposite of light. Now, let me ask you this question, right? What about your life? Is your life in disorder today, right? In other words, do you know where you are? Do, do you know where you're going to be. What are you going to be doing, right? How God is working in you and through you and within you, right? What God wants to accomplish in your life. See, if you can't answer all these questions, then you're in spiritual darkness. You see, when God came into your life, right? Into my life, into our life, you can say, right? You, be, you become born again. You become a new creation in God, right? He wants you to be a vessel for God the Father through him, right? See, are, are you obeying is the question I have, right? Or are you in prayer every day? Are you listening to that small voice, right? You see, it's only when we want to accomplish is the purpose of God, right? That we want to obey him, that we want to follow him, right? That we really want to hear his voice. We really want to have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus. 
And when we start to do that, then he starts to reveal things to us, right? Because that intimate relationship becomes closer and our bond becomes stronger. We begin to rely on him more. We begin to see things from his perspective, amen? That's what he wants for our life. He wants us to live a kingdom life here on this earth that glorifies him and the Father. But we can only know and we can only do that if we spend time with him. So he's saying here, if you follow me, right? Meaning all these things that we just talked about, right? You will never walk in darkness. But he says you will have the light of life. Now, why is this so important? Because the concept of life is always connected biblically to the kingdom of God. So when he says that you will have the concept of the light of life, he's saying that I'm going to give you kingdom illumination. I'm going to give you kingdom revelation, right? You see the things from a kingdom perspective, right? If you think like that, if he shows that to you, if he gives that to you, then you're going to make kingdom decisions. He's, he's going to lead you. And you're going to obey and trust because he has a plan and a purpose for all of our life, right? But you see, a lot of us push that aside because a lot of us want to do our own will. We want to do our own thing, so to speak, right? And what that leads to, it leads to disorder most of the time. It leads to chaos. It leads to darkness. It leads to failure. It's only when we make kingdom decisions that we're going to receive his blessings. Amen. And what blessings am I speaking of right here? I'm speaking of wisdom. I'm speaking of discernment. That's what I'm speaking of. See, you will never have favor with God in order for the purposes and plans that he has for you to become a reality in your life. You're never going to. You see, when you hear the word prosperity, right? We think about money. But biblically speaking, and I'm talking biblically speaking, we aren't talking about the amount of money you have, right? We're not talking about how much money's in your bank account. We're not talking about the size of your home and how many homes or how many camps or, or how many cars you drive or what kind of vehicles you drive. We're not talking about none of that because those things don't measure prosperity. From a kingdom perspective. So you say, well, what is prosperity from a kingdom perspective? Fulfilling the purposes and the plans of God in your life. That's what prosperity is. In other words, doing his will. Following him. Listening to him. Obeying him. Because he has a purpose and a plan for your life. And it's kingdom related. What can you do to enlarge his kingdom today? Amen. You see, we're supposed to reflect his image, people. And if we reflect his image, we, we're going to have the manifestation of his glory in our life. So we have to choose today. You have to choose right now, right? What's going to be the objective of your life? Verse 13. The Pharisees challenged him. So we see here that they walked away, but yet they stuck around because they still want to hear Jesus teaching because what's their purpose? They want to entrap Jesus. And the Pharisees said, they challenged them right here. Here you are, they say, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. So we see once again that they're rejecting the truth. They're rejecting Jesus. 
And look what Jesus says in verse 14. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. So the first part of that text, Jesus answered, even if I testify on my behalf, my testimony is valid. Now, why is this? You see, just because someone gives testimony by themselves, of themselves, doesn't mean that their testimony isn't true. It just means it has not been confirmed. And therefore, what these religious leaders, they should be looking for is confirmation, what Jesus is saying. In other words, somebody else who agrees with his testimony, right? Because that's what the law requires. But you see, they aren't interested in the law. They're, not, they're just following their own protocol, so to speak, right? They're following what they want to do because they are the, the, the leaders of Israel, right? You can say. Now, that was on under Roman government and the Roman control. But the Romans never messed with them as long as what? They paid their taxes and there was peace. They kept the peace. Look what Jesus says. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. You know what Jesus is speaking of here? He's speaking about the kingdom of heaven. He's speaking of heaven. But look what else he says. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You know what Jesus is telling him right here? You're lost. Because you only see things from an earthly standpoint. That's what Jesus is saying. Remember, all the messages and all the parables that Jesus spoke had a kingdom message. It was spiritual. But we can see here that these religious leaders, they're not spiritual. They're, although they're religious leaders, you say, well, you just said they're religious leaders. That doesn't mean you're spiritual. That's what it tells us here. They're thinking from an earthly perspective. They're not thinking kingdom-minded. Look what he says, Jesus. Jesus says in verse 15, you judge by human standards. He's saying you're operating in darkness. That's what he's saying. You're operating in the flesh. So what he's saying here is that they aren't interested in the kingdom of God. They aren't interested in the will of God. They aren't interested really in knowing God and following God. He's saying there, you continue to use excuses not to receive the testimony of God. That's what he's saying. Look what else Jesus says. I pass judgment on no one. Now remember, the first half of the gospel of John, although Jesus is God in the flesh, he's also man. And in the first half of John, he's going to reveal himself to us in the messages that he gives as a human in human form. So here he's speaking as a human. So he's saying, I don't have the right to judge because he's speaking as a human here, right? Now, remember, God, the father will eventually give all power to Jesus Christ, Yeshua. But at this time, it hasn't been done yet. So he's speaking from a human standpoint. Verse 16. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. The first half of that he says, but if I do judge, he's saying, right? My decisions are true because I am not alone. See, he's emphasizing here, just as he did before, that there's a connection between him and God the Father, the one who sent him. Now, up until this time, right, he's repeated himself over and over and over with phrases 
the one who sent him, the one who sent him, right? But look here, he adds something to that. Look what he says. I stand with the father who sent me. He adds this word father. He's speaking about God here, right? So in this passage, when he says, I am under the authority of the one who sent me, it's very, very clear here that he is under God's authority. But the religious leaders, they don't see this. They really don't comprehend this. They really don't understand this because they think from an earthly standpoint. They think from a fleshly standpoint. Verse 17, Jesus tells them, in your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. Now, this just means two or more people confirm what is being said. Two or more. Deuteronomy 19.15, the second half of that, right? A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 18. I am one who testifies for myself, Jesus says. And my other witness is the Father who sent me. So twice now, he's speaking of the one who sent him, meaning God the Father. But remember, the religious leaders are missing this whole message and all the messages before because Jesus is challenging them with the truth of God, with the word of God. Because remember what Jesus does. He always goes back to old scriptures and he quotes all scriptures. He quotes what the Torah says. He quotes what the prophets say. But you see, the religious leaders don't like this. Because they have their own agenda in place, right? They follow not the truth of God. They follow not the word of God. What they follow? They follow the traditions of the elders. They follow their man-made laws, their man-made rules. So they don't like what Jesus is saying because Jesus is pointing out the truth, you know? But you see, there's a lot of us that's just like these religious leaders. Because there's a lot of us that we attend a, a church, right? And they preach some truth. Maybe some churches preach very little truth. So when you hear the word of God, the truth, all of it, not just bits and pieces what the church wants you to hear, but what God wants you to see, what God wants you to hear, right? The Bible. It pricks us because it goes against what we've been brainwashed. It goes against what we've been taught. It goes against what, what, what we... We really believe that we think we believe, but we've been really been deceived because we don't know the whole truth. And unless you're in a Bible-based church or a Bible-based Bible study, you don't know the whole truth because most, most churches aren't speaking the entire truth because it's man-made religion. So we are a lot like these Pharisees, a lot of us, right? We don't really understand truth. And if you don't understand truth, you're never going to follow truth. You see, there's a lot of people, you know, I've been questioned. Man, it seemed like you're talking about me. No, I'm not talking about nobody. I'm not talking about nobody. I'm talking what the Spirit tells me to say. I'm not pointing nobody out in general. But you see, if you are convicted by what I'm saying or by what a pastor says or by what a priest says or by what a minister says, right? A religious leader that's anointed. 
If if you are if you convicted, but that's the spirit convicting you, not me or not anyone else. So there's no reason to get mad at me. There's no reason to get mad. That's the spirit trying to say to wake you up, saying you need to change. Because here's the truth. We see we don't like the truth. Because it, it goes against it goes against the flesh. And we want to follow the flesh. We don't want to follow the truth, right? I mean, let's just get serious here. Amen. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm called to preach the truth. And I'm going to preach the truth. You know, I ask myself over and over many times to the Spirit, why me? You know, why? I'm just a coach and a teacher by trade. <laughs> That's all I am. But you see, there's no gray area with me. There's no gray area with a coach. You see, the black or right, it's white, right or wrong. And the Word of God is the truth. Now, with saying that, we're all sinners. And we all deserve punishment, you see. But because of, of, of the grace of God the Father, that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to the cross, right, to be nailed, to be that sacrificial lamb for us, because we sinners. We lived in darkness before we become a newborn Christian. We're born again. But because of what Yeshua did on the cross, we can be forgiven if we repent of our sins, right? If we walk with Christ. Because to know God, you need to know His Son, Jesus Christ. Yeshua HaMashiach, Amen. And it's only through him that you enter into the gates of the kingdom of heaven, which will turn into the kingdom of God. Verse 19. Then they asked him. Now look what they say. You don't think they're, they're thinking physical here. Look what they say in verse 19. Listen to this. Then they asked him, where is your father? So right here just demonstrates to us that they're thinking naturally. They're thinking in the flesh that they really don't understand. Right? They didn't understand that he was referring to God the Father. They're thinking that he, he's referring to his earthly father, right? Look what he says, Jesus says. He says, you do not know me, nor my father, Jesus replied. If you would know me, you would also know my father. So he's saying, man, y'all far removed from me, and y'all far removed from God. What he's saying is, you're denying the truth. They're denying the truth. See, these religious leaders, especially the Pharisees, right? They were wise, very, very wise when it came to the teachings of the elders, the oral law, their man-made rules, their man-made traditions. But Jesus is saying here that, man, you are far, far, far removed from knowing the truth of God, from knowing God because you have rejected the truth of God. What about you today? Are you rejecting the truth of God? Because of religion. Because of, 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 of man-made rules. See, there's a lot of religious people in this world. But I want you to understand, not me, Jesus wants you to understand, that religion does not save you. What saves you is Jesus Christ. And what he did on the cross at Calvary. By believing in him. Knowing that he was the Messiah. Knowing that, that, that he died, right? 
And on the third day, he was resurrected by the Father. And he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father today until he comes at the second coming. Amen? Verse 20, he spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near a place where the offerings were put. Yet no one sees them, the Bible tells us, because his hour had not yet come. So we see here in that first half of the verse, he spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts, a place where the offerings were put. Now, you may ask the question, why here? And, and, and why this place, right? See, this place right here was a place where donations, there was boxes set up for donations in order for the work of God to be accomplished, to be done, right? And these, these resources that were kept here were the, for the purposes, you can say, of, of blessing others, helping others. That's why they had these boxes, right? Bringing people, you can say, into the right situation where they can worship and they can experience God themselves. So this place was located in a place in the temple called the Court of Women. And, and, and in this place, in this area, now if you look at a picture, you can Google it, you can YouTube it, there's, there's tons of pictures of this place, how it used to be. It's huge. I think it was like 40,000 square foot. I read somewhere, just this court of women, right? They had 13 collection boxes that were set up to receive offerings, right? Now, there's different, I, I studied this and I did some research. Some studies say there were seven boxes that were for temple taxes. Some say there was nine, right? Whatever it was. But the other were for free will offerings. And, and what about these free will offerings, right? We learn a little bit about this in the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, it's very short four verses, right? But Jesus does a teaching to his disciples about a woman that placed money in one of these boxes, right? And Jesus taught a very, very important lesson from this, right? In Luke 21, Verses 1 through 4, it tells us this. As Jesus looked up. So Jesus and his disciples here were, were, were leaving the temple. But they come across the court of women. And Jesus, something catches Jesus' eye, right? He saw the rich. The rich people, the rulers, right? Putting their money into a temple treasury into one of those boxes, right? But Jesus also saw a poor widow. And the scripture says that poor widow put two small copper coins. And the, the Bible goes on to tell us in Luke that Jesus turns to his disciples when he sees this, right? And he says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more than all of the others. Now that is like, that's strong, strong statement, people. So all these rich people, right? They putting in these boxes. 
But yet this lady, this widow, and that's why she was poor, because she was a widow. Two small copper coins. Now red, where some scholars believe that these two coins were worth, in our today's money, a fifth of what a penny is worth. One fifth. But Jesus says, this poor widow has put more than all the others. Now, how, how can that be? You see, all these rich people that put, this is the message that Jesus is telling us. All these rich people that gave, that was their leftovers. They gave because that's just what was left from their weekly expense or their monthly expense. But this woman... She puts a, what's worth a fifth of a penny. This is all this woman had to live. But she gave it all to God. She gave it all to the kingdom because she believed in God and trusted God that God's going to provide for your needs. And, and the message for us is God's God doesn't care about how much money you give to your church or to a ministry if you're doing it for the right reasons. If you're doing it with a heart for the kingdom, not your leftovers. See, a lot of us, what we do in church is, right, we give our leftovers. And I'm going to tell you, when I read this, it convicted me because I do this sometimes. I'm just telling you. And it hit hard. See, a lot of people say you got to give a, a, a tenth, right? That's Old Testament stuff. This shows us right here in the New Testament. It doesn't matter how much you give. As long as you give for the heart of God. As long as you give for the right reasons. That you're sowing into the kingdom of God. He said all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. Look what Jesus says. But she gave out of her poverty. But in all she had to live on. So she had nothing else but these two coins to live off of. But yet she gives everything she has to God and the kingdom. And Jesus wants to know today is this. Are you, are you storing up treasures for the eternal kingdom of God? Or are you storing up treasures for this earth? Because if you're storing up treasures for this earth, right? If you don't give with a kind heart, if you don't give with, with, with God being the center, Jesus being the center of your life, right? Then God can care less how much money you give. Because it's pretty obvious in this, this text right here in this verse, in this little teaching that he does with his disciples that what? If you give with a kind heart, you can, give, you can give a penny. Now you might say, what a penny can do? Well, it can do a whole lot in Jesus' eyes, I can tell you that. Because it's your attitude. It's your mindset, right? It's why are you giving? Are you giving because I feel I just need to give and that's my leftover? Or are you giving because you're giving with a kind heart for the kingdom? See, a lot of us, this, is, this must hit home. I know it did with me. 
So we need to look at how we, we evaluate ourselves, in other words, right? Are we truly giving for God and His kingdom? Or what's our purpose for giving, should I ask? That's the question we should ask ourselves. You know, why am I giving? Am I giving to help the kingdom grow? Am I giving because I want to see ministry outreach go out and reach other people and other nations, right? Other people and communities, right? To show the light of the world through my giving. Or do I give because that's just what we do and that's my leftover. Now going back to verse 20, the first half of that, of that text. It says, he spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. So he says this to show us, right, that these words and, and, and the resources, right, they have a purpose. And that purpose is to bring about God's will and God's plan in our life, in our ministry. And you might say, well, I'm not in a ministry. If you're involved in a church, you're involved in a ministry. If you're involved with Jesus, you're involved in a ministry. Amen? Because God gave you a gift and a talent. That's your ministry that you need to use for the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of heaven. You see, what Jesus is saying here is that you got two choices. You can either choose your finances or you can choose the word. You can choose him. You can choose the truth. See, what will be your ultimate blessings in this life, people? What's it going to be? Is it going to be your finances? Or is it going to be the truth? Well, some of you might say, well, in this earthly life, I need money. It's not what I'm saying. Or do you put finances and money before Jesus? That's what I'm saying. See, Jesus, as long as you walk with Jesus, as long as you believe and you have that intimate relationship with Jesus, the Bible tells us, the Scripture tells us, the truth tells us, the Word tells us that He will always be your provider. But you see, rich people, they don't know this. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with money. If God blessed you with money, that's great. But use it and invest it into His kingdom. That's what Jesus wants you to see. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with money. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with cars and houses and all that stuff. I'm not saying that. But are you sowing with some of your money into the kingdom? That's what Jesus wants you to see. Now, we can do a whole teaching on that, right? But we're going to hold off on that for, for another time. Yet no one sees them because his hour had not yet come. Now, this is a third or fourth time that we see this phrase, no one sees them, right? Why? Because God had a hedge of protection around him. That's why. What's the message for us according to this scripture? Let's wrap it up right here. That the plans of man, when you leave God out of those plans, you're not going to be successful, right? I mean, look at these leaders. They had great resources. They had the temple court. They had the treasury house. It was full of money. You can say it was kind of like the Vatican today. Very, very wealthy. Very, very rich. But these leaders... They, they, they had power, right? They had authority. They had prominence, right? They had it all. But what, what were they consumed with? They were consumed with the flesh. They were consumed with wanting to arrest Yeshua. 
And we, we see that they tried many, many times, and up to this point, they couldn't do it. Why? Because God had a plan for Jesus. And, and, and shows us that God's plans are stronger than man's plans, right? You see, what God has in store for you is only yours. Man can't stop it. No one can stop it, right? If God has put it in place for you, it's yours. Go get it. But you got to believe. You got to seek him. You got to obey him. You got to trust him, right? You got to receive the illumination of Jesus. You need to receive the revelation of Jesus. And the only way to do that is to have a relationship with his son. The scripture tells us that if God is for us, who dare be against us, you see? So we need not fear. We need not worry. We need not be anxious, have anxiety, right? We need to submit to the truth. We need to follow the truth. We need to obey and remain faithful to God through his son, Jesus Christ, because he has a plan for our life, right? And if we walk with him daily, right, he's going to give us illumination and revelation, right? So we can bring glory and honor to the kingdom of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? And that ends our lesson for today. We're going to be back next week. We're going to continue on with the Gospel of John in chapter 8. Be a, bless, be a blessing for someone this week. Be that light that shines in you. Because Jesus is shining through you, right? And he wants you to go to people that sees that light so, so you can introduce them to Jesus Christ. We love you guys. We appreciate you all tuning in. Until next week, God bless. We love you.